0: Jen, it's Monday night, and I know there's something that made you do a spit take. What'd you disagree with this week?
1: Dude, I spit out my coffee, water, juice, beverage, the fact that John <laughs> Fox got another job in the NFL. I am so annoyed. The guy, first of all, I mean, the game has passed him by. Let's be real. He's been out of the NFL for five seasons. You tell me the Colts couldn't find somebody else. I mean, granted, look, he's he's an like what assistant defensive something or other, fine. I refuse to believe that there's someone, you know, in a better position in the, in the modern era of the NFL to possibly go in there and get some life into that team than John Flippin' Fox. That That's my cold open or my cold spit take. I'm sorry. There it is.
0: I, I, I bet it's just he's the sandwich guy. That's it. They, it, it. Reich was like, I need a sandwich guy. Who knows sandwiches in Indy? Somebody said, get John Fox. Get him over here. He knows a good pastrami. That's what it is excellent excellent spit take jen now let's get to the show welcome everyone to the most accurate podcast i'm one of your hosts brandon niles with me are my excellent co-host jen akins and chris allen chris how you doing today buddy
2: Yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, I'm a little bit better than Jen after her spit take against, uh, you know, hating on John Fox, which I completely understand. Once I saw the news, I rolled my eyes myself. So I 100% get it. But other than that, I'm doing well, ready to talk ball with y'all tonight. Jen, how are you doing other than being upset with the Colts?
1: I'm good. Listen, I just got back from a couple day vacay. Uh, It was the kids spring break. So uh, we headed down to uh, Canyon City which is a couple hours south of Denver, got to see the uh, Royal Gorge, which, and, and we crossed the the largest uh, suspension bridge in North America. So it was oh, pretty sweet. I, I've thing. lived in Denver for 26 years and have never been down there. So that was a cool thing. Came back, saw the John Fox news, was a little peeved. Other than that, I am fantastic. Uh, yeah, I'm good. You know, I, I missed a bunch of stuff, so we definitely need to get into it. Brandon, what's in the news?
0: Uh, not a lot of news this week, honestly. Uh, since the Tyreek Hill news on Thursday, which the Johns covered in-depth Thursday night, go check out that episode if you haven't uh, gotten their take on it. Obviously, there's a, a lot to unpack there that they go in-depth in, and we're going to continue to watch that over the offseason to see what Kansas City does. Uh, but there is, speaking of Kansas City, uh, one thing that I saw happen that I wanted to get your takes on, Ronald Jones goes to Kansas City. Uh, Ronald Jones, uh, one of the most disparate uh, situations on Twitter in fantasy football, I believe. Uh, People love Ronald Jones, hardcore Rojo believers, or think he's utter garbage. So it doesn't seem like there's a middle point. Chris, where are you on Ronald Jones here in Kansas City? How does this affect the Chiefs? How does this affect Rojo? And how does it affect Clyde Edwards-Alaire?
2: I do not care. Uh, at this point, <laughs> I don't care uh, because it's not it, because Ronald Jones doesn't provide that type, that skill set that we would want to be a part of a Patrick Mahomes led offense. He doesn't catch passes, or at least he doesn't catch them well. That was a his big problem coming out of college. It's been a part of his problem since he's been with the Buccaneers. And even when he had his opportunities with Tom Brady, who arguably is a better passer than Patrick Mahomes, he still was dropping the ball. And so now he goes to a team where the running back isn't a huge feature as a part of their offense. I mean, bottom 10 in targets to the running back position just this past season. So unless we're assuming some sort of role where he might become the goal line back for uh, against uh, for Clyde Edwards Hilaire, even though from a size perspective, it's not like he has 10 to 15 pounds on Clyde Edwards Hilaire. So I can't even see that. So other than cannibalizing Hilaire's Edwards Hilaire's role, I don't really see a ton of value for either of the two at this point. So if he's not, if you're not catching passes for the chiefs, I'm I'm really not all that interested in you to be quite honest.
0: Jen, are you interested in either of these backs? Or do you uh, agree with Chris that they kind of cancel each other out?
1: I agree with Chris. And I happen to be one of those few that you mentioned that you said there's no middle ground. I'm the middle ground. Like I don't, I'm not into Rojo. I'm not anti Rojo. I just kind of, he's kind of meh for me. I mean, that's of course in Tampa Bay as it's been, uh, this move, you know, uh, you know, in the, on this podcast, we talk a lot about Merck and I feel like in Kansas city, it's always Merck in that running back room. And here we are again. And I think that neither of them are going to be anything fantastic for fantasy. I think there's like Chris said, unless you're catching passes in that offense, I don't see, you know, him being that productive or that fruitful as a fantasy asset.
0: Daryl Williams is still unsigned. Do you you think they're done, Jen, or do you think they add anyone else to that running back room?
1: Oh, it's Andy Reid. They're adding, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, he's not done. There'll be at least another body or two at some point in the next month.
0: (laughs) Uh, Chris, uh, let's go to Tampa. We saw Leonard Fournette re-signed. Uh, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers after flirting with New England, uh, Rojo now out of the picture. There we still got uh, you know former fantasy Twitter darling Keshawn Vaughn is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously a lot of offseason left to go, but right now Leonard Fournette is it? Are we going into the season confident with him as the starter and as a solid fantasy asset?
2: Absolutely. If we looked at His like the evolution of his workload throughout the course of the season last year. Because remember, when we came into the 2021 season, it was kind of a struggle between him and the newly acquired Giovanni Bernard. And we had assumed that with the team essentially going out and signing Bernard, that the roles were defined. I mean, Leonard Fournette could be essentially the between the tackles kind of guy, maybe catch a couple of passes here and there, essentially what they wanted for Ronald Jones. But then for those third down uh situations for those two minute drill situations that's where geo could come in because of injuries not really getting in sync with the offense leonard jones took over that entirety of that backfield to the point where snaps were going up target share was going up goal line presence was there as well so essentially uh, leonard fournette became their workhorse back and so with the i mean, Geo, while if he's going to stay with the team or not, it doesn't matter at this point. With Rojo also being gone, Leonard Fournette has already shown he's capable of handling the workload, capable of being efficient while doing so. And with the other pass catchers, I mean, with us having some concerns about Godwin's entry at this point, I can just see Leonard Fournette continuing, at expense essentially where he left off at the end of 2021. So he's an RB1 for me.
0: Excellent. And Jen, um, your cat Twizzler, I uh, had another meeting and couldn't make this podcast today. Uh, however, I know Twizzler left us some notes. What's Twizzler's take now that uh, he knows that Leonard Fournette is back with the Bucs?
1: Twizzler's very pleased with Leonard Fournette uh, staying with the Bucks. Twizzler, Twizzler sees him as an RB1. He's very excited about it. Uh, during the season, he will be back on every week to tell you his thoughts uh, from week to week on the fantasy output of Mr. Fournette.
0: And the, the status of the window. I, I And know the that's status I of the
1: window. <laughs> uh, he, he may show up, you know, within the next however long we do this pod. Uh, for now, he is otherwise engaged downstairs, but we will see what happens.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Uh, that's all I've got for the news. I want to do some draft content, some way early draft content. But uh, before we get into that, let's hit stat of the week.
2: All right. So for this week, my stat of the week, it comes... With uh, on the heels of all the moves that we've been seeing throughout free agency, the trades, I mean, the blockbuster deals that we've seen happening. And I kind of want to try to figure out, like, well, what is the reason for some of this? And I want to go all the way back to the Super Bowl. I mean, this is a I mean, the Rams and the Bengals. It's the first time in at least the Super Bowl era that two four seeds have come to the Super Bowl, have wound up making to the Super Bowl. In the last 22 Super Bowls, like 17 of them have featured at least one number one seed. So you can talk about like how the teams like team building and whatnot. But with the league seeing like how these teams were able to get there with Cincinnati, taking Jamar Chase and kind of pairing with his college quarterback, drafting T Higgins, also being able to just put that offense together and then also having the retooling their defense while working on their offense as well and getting that guy a quarterback. And the same thing with the Rams trading for Matthew Stafford, also making the trades to bring in Von Miller, Odell Beckham. So, I mean, draft picks have now become this thing where, all right, we don't want to hoard them and just try and save them and try and make those lottery picks. We can actually now use them as a way to build our teams. And so I think that's part of the reason why we've seen a lot of these blockbuster deals. It's changing the way that we see Uh, how teams will wind up building themselves in the future. I mean, if you think about it over the past, I mean, even the past couple of decades, I mean, we've been pretty good, or at least the league has been pretty good about putting together at least the best teams, right? I mean, the first seed versus the second seed or two first seeds fairly common, especially throughout the seventies and eighties. But now with the league trending more towards passing with the deals that we've now seen here in free agency from Christian Kirk to Devontae Adams to Tyreek Hill, I can just continue to see like this era of football being much more, I guess, risk, uh, the teams being able to take on more risk by making some of these trades. And I think what we saw here in the Super Bowl with teams that we didn't essentially think could make it to the Super Bowl with two four seeds being more of the norm than it being an outlier. I don't know. I mean, Brandon, like, what do you think? Like after, I mean, you know, I mean, from the trivia stuff that we've done in the past, like what these Super Bowls have been like. I mean, some of the best teams, I mean, whether it's been the Patriots for however many years with Tom Brady, uh, I mean, whomever the case may be. I think the last time that we saw like at least two non-first seed teams in were the I think the Ravens and 49ers. Uh back in like 2012. And actually, I think the Rams Patriots, I think, might have been uh two like non-first team, at least one with the non-first seed teams.
0: What's weird about this is like these these two four seeds, neither one of them felt like a four seed, right? Like going right. oh, you know, this, yeah. the Rams felt like a one-seed and the Bengals felt like an upstart six seed or something uh-huh. like that, yeah. right? Uh, which was fun. Uh, the team building, it's a copycat league. You're you're absolutely correct. And the copycat league uh mentality of watching those draft picks get traded uh the rams with the uh screw those picks kind of mentality which is yeah, a fun yeah i love that shirt sure. uh, very counter counter argument very much like against the grain on that with team building the way we continue uh to think about this uh, fans are also more knowledgeable so we have more opinions about those things um it's it's going to be interesting to see the types of swings i love the deals we've seen von miller made himself some money going to mm-hmm. buffalo uh the christian kirk deal is going to be my new uh contract that i used to say oh but is he worth brock osweiler money now i'm going to be like oh but is he worth christian kirk money that's right. going to be yeah. my new uh my new thing since uh since the houston contract but yeah fun to see um i also think it just goes to show how competitive this league is right it's what one of the things i love about football is uh any team could beat any team in the playoffs and it throws everything out of whack tennessee can come out and beat kansas city and games like that can happen uh I think we're going to continue to see that. I think with the talent at quarterback and the rules helping quarterbacks, I think that the depth and the uh, parity in the league has just broadened. And once Tom Brady retires, we'll get an even more eclectic collection of of, of players in the Super Bowl. So I'm 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 psyched. I didn't know that that was the um, I didn't know that we ha- we haven't had a one seed uh, or we didn't have a one seed in that it, and that it's been so long since. Uh, since that's been the case. That's an interesting stat. I like that.
2: Yeah, and like Jen, kicking it over to you, I mean, we've seen just this past year with just how wild the playoffs can be. And so with teams kind of moving their quarterbacks around, I mean, who's to say that? Matt Ryan now with the Colts in the AFC South, they could wind up like getting into the playoffs at a wild card position. Then who knows like, once you get into the dance. So I just, for me, it feels like this is in a more exciting time in the league where it almost kind of feels like, These GMs are playing dynasty football, like where they are mortgaging their future. And they are trying to make these trades and they are trying to make their teams faster, like better, faster. So, I mean, I mean, are you liking like how this like it feels like we're have like a new big type of uh, like breaking news happening every day. But I feel like this is more exciting now with teams kind of valuing or at least changing how they view building their teams this way.
1: Yeah. And I think just what Brandon said, like, it's a, it's a copycat league, right? So people are seeing the Rams are seeing what McVeigh does. They're seeing what the front office does. And you like, look at Miami, you've got, you know, McDaniel there now he's young, he's brought in a different type of energy. They made a bunch of moves and they're looking, you know, towards that same goal of like, look, let's shake it up and see what happens. Uh, You know, I, I don't know. You know, you you of course you mentioned Matt Ryan and the Colts, and I just laughed because you know after we went off the whole John Fox thing, I'm like, not with John Fox there, they're not going to make it. But no, <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding. I mean, listen, either way, I think I think it's interesting. I mean, there was a pretty big. I don't remember this much of a shakeup. I mean, I'm sure you know. In each season, we say this, but I feel like this off season, there's been a lot of you know, random movement that we usually don't see. And it's been super fun. I'm excited for the season, you know, and it's not even over yet. I mean, there's still a couple dominoes to fall and then we still have the draft to get through mm-hmm. to see, you know, where these guys fall. And um, it, I think it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun season, hopefully for all of us.
0: <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about that draft. Now that you're talking about it, Jen, uh, this draft is very interesting to me uh, on a few levels. Um it's it's really deep on the defensive line on the offensive line uh, really good dbs in this draft and those aren't really the fantasy positions like people don't get really excited about any of those positions in fantasy except our our good friend mike wollert uh, doing mm-hmm. the idp stuff but for our purposes in the vast majority of leagues uh, we don't really know who we're targeting here this is the first year i can remember in a while where we go into dynasty rookie drafts and we don't automatically know before the draft who the probable 1.01 is uh, we don't know where these guys are going to get drafted we don't know if a quarterback's going to go top 10 or slide all the way to the bottom of the first round so I- i'm really interested and I want to start with Malik Willis and quarterbacks in general. The quarterbacks in this class are not considered the way the were, the the quarterbacks were in, in last year's class, where we had bona fide, top-notch elite prospects, uh, You know, three in the top 10, five in the first round, So, or uh, four, I'm sorry, four in the top 10, five in the first round. And uh, this year, Malik Willis seems to have risen to the top. He had a heck of a combine, throwing the ball. Uh, looks like he's got a cannon for an arm, super mobile out of uh, Liberty uh followed it up with a great pro day where he threw the ball really really well but again we're we're looking at a situation we don't know where he's going to land we don't know for if he's going to start right away so i'm going to start chris um since i i I think you i think quarterbacks um is there a good landing spot for a rookie quarterback this year Uh, a landing spot given the fact that we don't have a trevor lawrence who's going to be drafted to be the franchise savior day one Mm-hmm. Is there a spot where you'll be interested in a redraft or even a best ball format in one of these rookie quarterbacks?
2: Uh, I think from dynasty, from a dynasty perspective, I think we kind of know where the spots are that would at least allow them to see the field, if not for most of the season or a portion of, whether it be Carolina, Seattle. Uh, but I think the one that kind of interests me the most is Pittsburgh at this point. Because if you think about the weapons that are currently there, from an offensive standpoint, from Claypool to Deontay, Friar Najee Harris, who can also catch some checkdowns as well, that seems to be the most, I guess, ripe for the taking, right out of the gate. And even though they have Mitch Trubisky under contract for the next couple of seasons, he's essentially being paid backup money at this point. If I'm comparing contracts, even though Teddy Bridgewater has just a one-year deal, Teddy Bridgewater counts more against the cap this year than Mitch Trubisky does. So... I think at this point, like that's one of the places that I would be most interested in. I guess that's just from a fantasy perspective, because since I'm a Bengals fan, I still want the Steelers to stay down at the bottom of the AFC North right now. We've got enough problems with Cleveland, Deshaun Watson. But still, I think that's the one that provides the most fruit immediately. But of course, then afterwards, the Seahawks, assuming nothing happens with, I know that there have been some rumors about a Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf getting moved rumors at best at this point yeah
0: it doesn't I doubt it
2: I doubt it happens but (laughs) I think if anything if that was going to actually happen it would have gained a bit more steam at this point but with them still needing some pieces along the offensive line unless I mean Malik Willis would work because if you wanted to try and replace somebody like Russell Wilson Malik Willis could be that guy
0: pretty good comp yeah
2: exactly so I think that's where I would probably lean the best because Carolina absolute mess even if you are excited about dj moore and his contract extension robbie anderson christian mccaffrey so on and so forth the offensive line and just the way that the team is being run right now with their head coaching staff i would stay away so pittsburgh seattle that's where i put my money at as
0: of right now nice nice yeah uh congrats dj Moore on getting that bag i i always advocate for players getting money uh he's getting that christian kirk money so i, I love it i love it uh, Jen, uh, looking at it from a redraft perspective, like very much redraft, I know you always have a very, I would say, a very sensible view on rookies uh, going into redraft formats. I don't. I love rookies, and I draft <laughs> them too early to my detriment, especially running backs. Uh, with this being kind of a eh, class at the quarterback position, Malik Willis, we know he's got the dual threat. Is there a landing spot that you see and right now uh, Anthony Staggs has him going to Atlanta in the top 10? Is there a landing spot you see where you would be interested because of the dual threat uh, in him in a redraft format or is 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 it too risky?
1: I don't think that there's any reason to draft him in a single quarterback redraft league. There's just too many quarterbacks ahead of him even if he gets, you know, in the best possible spot for him, you know, which we just discussed. I still think that there are, you know, 12 quarterbacks for sure ahead of him. And I just don't see it happening. I think in best ball, like I say, with, every time we have these conversations, yeah. I mean, throw a dart at him and, you know, around 16, 17, whatever, uh, I think that's perfectly fine. But I think for redraft, I see no reason drafting him. And if for some reason he ends up in a spot where he does, you know, either start or come in after a few games, if something happens to wherever he lands, uh, you know, he's on the he'd be on the waiver wire. I mean, I don't think that anybody would actually draft him and redraft but maybe they would who knows and and same with the other guys that are that are there i mean besides willis i just don't i don't see any rookie quarterback really making a fantasy impact from a regular redraft not dynasty perspective
0: okay Uh, let's stick with you jen Uh, let's shift to running backs now so uh you know Brees hall is 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 a is a good prospect probably gonna be the first running back off the board um Kenneth Walker, you know, there's some good running backs, but there's no Adrian Peterson in this draft. Like there's there's not even really a Najee Harris, like a, a player that is consensus. This is the best guy. This is the one that I know is going to be a day one impact player. I was trying to think about the fact that it's a situational class, how much the draft is going to impact and where the landing spots actually do make sense, where it's not just Merck, where it's actually nice. Um, because there's not a lot of blue chippers where's a spot where's a spot for running backs that sounds good outside of Houston because to me if Brees Hill Hall gets signed anywhere outside of Houston I I'm scared I I don't know I I where's that spot this year
1: there's not a lot of spots I mean Houston is really the only actual job up for grabs I mean you can make an argument for Atlanta right you've got CPAT and then you know you're looking at Mike Davis again. And, you know, I don't, I mean, can Cordero Patterson be an RB one for the entire season for a team who knows, you know, we're not sure that that can happen. Uh, so I think that could be a spot perhaps other than that, it's tough sledding out there. There's just a lot of running backs on a lot of teams that already are in a crowded situation. And then you bring in a rookie that, you know, at least at the start, right. If we're talking redraft in best ball, absolutely. You can draft all these guys because you can end up in a situation like last season with Michael Carter and, uh, why am I drawing a blank? Uh, uh, Elijah, God, what is his name in San Francisco? Anyway, those guys oh, at Elijah head, Mitchell. thank yeah. you. I was like, Maguire, not the right name. Elijah Mitchell, <laughs> thank you. But like, you know, those guys will come on later on the season and, and add some points to your basketball team. Uh, I, I think that, but other than that, there's just not a lot of room in the, in, the, um, in the running back rooms around the league for, you know, any of these guys to walk in and just get automatic, you know, carries and, and fantasy points.
0: I feel like it's just going to be Merck. I feel like we're going to – I'm going to walk out of that draft and be like, oh, now I don't like Devin Singletary as much, or oh, now I don't like Leonard Fournette as much, or whatever the case may be. But you love a
1: rookie running back, so don't even pretend like you're not going to draft them all in the first three rounds because you are.
0: Third round, going to be (laughs) – going to be, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Chris, I I know that you're – Rocking the best ball. I know that's what you're doing. When you're doing best ball drafts right now before the draft, how do you approach rookies in general? Like in general, how do you approach rookies not knowing where they're gonna be, but knowing that they're gonna cost something because people like rookies and they get excited and they are on the board there when you're in those best ball rooms?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the easiest thing to look at is by position. Quarterbacks is the easiest because we can look at what who the current starter is. And what their path is to getting on the field. Because for a lot of the guys, whether it was Joe Burrow, even Justin Herbert to a degree, like we can kind of see the path of them to getting on the field as quickly as possible, because they were replacing the guy that either retired or is essentially like on their way out. And so that's easy. For running backs, it's a little bit different. I mean, it can be as simple as, well, if Pittsburgh drafts Najee Harris, but, but then, I'm
0: talking before the draft. Like when, absolutely. You're, when you're when you're drafting now best ball, you don't know where these guys are gonna go. How do you approach these rookies?
2: Just uh, I try and pay attention as much as I can to how are the like, how's the community starting to value them? Because if we're already have these guys ranked like for the running backs, we've got Brees Hall, Isaiah Spiller, and essentially Kenneth Walker, those are the top three at their position. And so where are they going in drafts? And where do we even see some of the folks in the draft community? And by draft community, I mean, Dane Brugler, Todd McShea, Lance Zierlein, where are they getting mocked to? Are they getting mocked to teams like with uh, that could have them wind up having first round draft capital or even having a decent workload in their first year? So if that starts to is that developing a picture of me to for me to have the draft capital in the situation, then sure, they could might be worth their ADP with wide receivers. It's a little bit more different than that, because for the most part, it winds up being what's their draft capital going to look like day one. Day two picks. There's essentially what you're looking looking for at this point. And with this class, we have at least five wide receivers that I've seen typically mocked within the first round: Pickens, Olave, Williams, London, and uh, Burks. Burks. Thank you. Yeah. Burks, Burks.
0: Burks. who I'm convinced is is either Laquan Treadwell or Julio Jones, and nothing in between. Like, wow, that's a, <laughs> that's a, that's, a,
2: that's an extreme range. But you see what I'm saying, though? Like, if those are the guys you're essentially cutting down on the noise outside of that you don't have to draft a jahan dokson you don't have to draft a kenny pickett you don't have to draft anybody outside of the three running backs that i've already named if you're really if you can start to kind of narrow down your focus to the top players at each position and ca- kind of create a core player so maybe three running three rookie running backs that you want to focus on maybe four or five rookie or prospect wide receivers you want to focus on then it becomes easier for you to navigate the ADP versus saying, well, he's a rookie, so I should should try draft him or not. And then we'll figure out, and then that's even pre-draft. After the draft, draft capital, landing spot, and all that good stuff, we can talk about that then. But for right now, find a core guys and then focus on what the draft community is saying about them, their skill sets and whatnot, and see if they can wind up getting the draft capital that you know you need in order for them to see the field in the first place.
0: Sure, sure. Jen, uh, when you're in the best ball rooms, because I know you do some early best balls as well. Um, do you have a similar approach to rookies as Chris before they're drafted? And then does it change after the draft for you? Obviously, I'm in the situation, but your approach?
1: Yeah, I mean, I actually, you know, every year I'll do a few drafts uh, before the draft. Uh, to kind of feel it out this year. I have not, I'm kind of in that in a different mode this year. I think I'm going to wait. I say that, but we still have, you know, another month or a little less. So I may, I may saunter over to the lobby and, and do a few drafts, but I kind of agree with Chris said, I think, you know, sprinkling a few of those guys on the earlier side um is nice because if they do end up in a super great landing spot or, God forbid, someone gets hurt at training camp and someone due to attrition is right there and you snagged them in the you know the 10th round and then they skyrocket to the 4th round or somewhere in the dead zone or whatever. Um, so it always, you know, it's good to have a little bit of that in, in the early stages. Uh, but for the most part, I kind of, um, yeah, I've been kind of staying away until we know more, at least this season.
0: Running backs in best ball are getting so crazy anyway because, I, like, I remember uh, a couple of my teams last year that were doing the best, like, late when that were still in the tournament and still doing well mm-hmm. in, in the late stage of the season, like the top running backs on that roster scoring each week were like Rex Burkhead and Deontay Foreman. And, sure. uh, yeah. It's just crazy. The the way running backs go, it's almost like taking a stab on these guys. Uh, you know, when they landed in a situation that's not ideal, but where they might be the Michael Carter, as you mentioned, Jen might even be a good approach. It's really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Chris, you mentioned the receiver. The receivers are good at this class. They're not like last year, not like the year before, uh, but they, it is a solid receiver class this season. Um, with Tyreek Hill in Miami mm-hmm. and Kansas City looking down the gun barrel of McCole Hardman and uh, Marquise Valdez Scantling, who. And is- Juju. That's right, they've got Juju. That's <laughs> I forgot about Juju. So they've got these three players. Juju, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, is a slot receiver. Uh, Valdez-Scantling is a Z. Uh, mm-hmm. They don't have an X receiver on that roster. McCall Hardman is somewhere between a slot and a Z. Mm-hmm. Um, if they use one of those two late first-round picks on a receiver, Chris, no matter who that receiver is, does that receiver become the top rookie um, drafted?
2: Either him or whoever the Packers take. Because you have to think that everybody is now going to say, well, I mean, Devonta Adams is gone. Who else is going to really soak up some of those targets? I mean, if you if you go by the law of conservation of targets, then you would assume that if the Packers are now going to invest first round draft capital into any of these, any of these receivers, whom at least that top five we consider to be good, outside of. Was it Jameson Williams is the one that uh, tore his ACL? Yeah, he's. Season. That's correct. Yeah,
0: we we don't know what his status will be. Yeah, that's so
2: outside of him, the rest should be ready to go week one, or at least that's the expectation. So the landing spot now becomes key in that point. So those are the two. Those are the two teams where it's yes, if the first round draft capital is there, they wind up and they get the landing spot that we want, then they get propelled I don't know, anywhere into the third fourth round. At least that would be my assumption
0: do you think they people. become the dynasty 1.01 in that situation
2: i don't know about dynasty 1.01 okay. uh, beca- running backs and quarterbacks especially for super flex leagues but the running backs and quarterbacks like typically wind up like in that spot uh now with this class being somewhat more nebulous because i think even a few years ago there was discussion of Nikhil Harry harry uh, being the 101 i remember 15, that yeah i remember which that. was a tough class for for me and uh yeah a few other people (laughs) as well so it's entirely possible that based off of that yes i mean just looking at the quality of play like for the quarterbacks and then also just having these like maybe three running backs that people are like really interested in and really just two uh for for a lot of folks i can see that being the case but i think really they, they would need to have that one first round draft capital and two they have to get the one of those two teams
0: I love uh my I love old 1.01s. Like it's always that balance of opportunity versus talent and draft capital, right? Because yeah. uh I my favorite is Bishop Sank. he's my favorite dynasty one point oh uh, one just uh yeah. you know went to that situation, Tennessee. Everyone thought he'd be the guy, he stunk it up, and just yeah. it didn't mm-hmm. end up doing it any good. Um, uh, Jen, uh, would that be the exception for you with rookies if Green Bay and Kansas City? go after one of these rookie receivers, would you be hunting them uh, pretty aggressively at redraft and, and in best ball formats?
1: Yeah. I don't know about aggressively, but I will definitely try to get my share of them. If I can, um, I would kind of possibly throw Chicago in there too. I mean, I know the quarterback situation is not ideal, but that depth chart is brutal. I mean, after after Mooney, you're looking at like names that you've never even, you know, heard considered, I mean, I like, are you looking at a, like, CFL or XFL, you know, roster? <laughs> How dare so, you besperch the name I of Byron know.
2: Pringle?
0: How dare
1: you? Uh, yeah. So, um, anyway, like I was saying, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I mean, Pringle is, you know, Pringle.
0: Um, the, the Pringle stands, are they called the Pringlers? Tell me they're called the Pringlers. I, I have do.
2: to we'll have to look that up. Yeah.
0: Is, is there is yeah. there such
1: a thing as as a, has as to a be. okay.
0: Yeah, sure the people who've been who no, byron pringle for a while. I <laughs> know,
1: I'm just kidding. I have nothing against Byron Pringle, but my point is I do think that uh there is, you know, value of getting somebody on that team because if, you know, if this new offense in Chicago and the you know, the new system and everything comes together and Justin Fields does take that leap or Andy Dalton I guess whatever ends up happening there, but um you know, I think that you know, there's, there's definitely targets to be had and there's definitely points, fantasy points to be scored.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I hope it's not Andy Dalton. I, I, uh, oh. oh, yeah. A, I just had question. to throw
1: it out there because it is it is a possibility.
0: You're right, but... oh.
2: <laughs> I guess my only thing with all of this discussion is that, of course, Green Bay, like a wide receiver going to Green Bay, huge for their value. Wide receiver going to Kansas City, especially in the first round, huge for their value. My only question is, do we have to pay the premium on those players because at this point right now we've got three other wide receivers currently being mocked to the first round and at least two other teams are wide receiver d at this point with let's say i guess serviceable quarterbacks because the saints are mocked to picking up a wide receiver Jameis winston that could Mm -hmm. be okay and also the jets are also mocked to pick up a wide receiver as well. They could take like Drake London or somebody like that to play a big slot role receiver. So with the added premium that we would have to pay for the Green Bay, Kansas City wide receiver one, why can't I just pay cheaper prices for a rookie, another rookie with first round draft capital that's going to a team that also needs a wide receiver and should also see work in production with an, albeit lesser quarterback, but it's just, can I, w- w- can, I feel like I should be able to do that. And it could be at least a smart move, especially in best ball as we expect rookies to ramp up over their first season. Anyway, that's just kind of how I think I might be approaching the this season. Like after we find out what draft slots and draft capital is assigned to them.
0: What, would you, would you put Indy in that list too? Yeah. 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 Cause I, we don't know I, about
2: T Y Hilton at this point and what his plans are. So I mean, I like Pittman, but Ryan's there,
1: right? You know, Ryan's a good, piece yeah, of
2: good. That, yeah. If Mo Ali
1: something... Cox, Mo Al- I mean, we talk about it every week, I feel like the same, yeah. you know, but <laughs> Pittman and Mo Ali Cox, and then there's a pretty decent drop off. So, yeah,
2: yeah, because Paris Campbell, we can't really, what is the expectation there, like health wise for him? So it's just, yeah, I mean, those are, that's another team where it's just if they also made the investment, again, why do I need to pay the premium for the Green Bay and Kansas City first rounder? What I could pay rounds different for if the Saints wind up taking a first round wide receiver, the Jets wind up taking a first round wide receiver. It's just something I'm trying to think through at this point, which is, I don't know, it's a possible.
0: So we know Green Bay is uh, probably taking a running back and a quarterback uh, in the first round. That's what we assume they aren't going to take a receiver. Uh, Jen, <laughs> um you tend to know more about Aaron Rodgers than I do. Um, you've, you you've, You've uh, you've brought to light his dating history and how it correlates to his on-field success, which is uh, I I maintain is the greatest statistic I've ever heard in my entire life. And I, I'm curious. There's a lot of discussion about his preference for veteran receivers, right? So even if they draft one of those wide receiver ones, one of those guys, are you are you going to have like a, a raised eyebrow, at Alan Lazard, because he seems like the last man standing the guy who's entering into a, a veteran season with Rogers would might have his trust or, or maybe even like Amari Rogers, who um, basically had a redshirt season as a rookie last year. Would you give preference to those veterans at all? I'm just curious, Jen.
1: Yeah. I hope that Alan Lazard is, is kind of a quiet uh, guy that people kind of forget about. Cause I think at this moment, yeah, I mean he's there, and and Aaron Rodgers does like himself a veteran, and Aaron Rodgers is currently single, um, as we've talked about. You know, and sex- that's usually
0: the good, the good Rodgers, right? Right? right. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. The, the sexless Aaron Rodgers is usually good. <laughs> However, last season was different because he yeah. was engaged and he did have a good season. So I don't know. Last week, last year was kind of the weird factor uh, in all of this, the outlier. So, but this year, listen, you have sexless Aaron Rodgers, you have angry Aaron Rodgers. You know, it could be the perfect storm of a really good season for him. Uh so we'll have <laughs> to see, you know, what they get. But Alan Lazard is like, like you said, he is kind of a forgotten guy. Um, let me look real quick while we're talking what his ADP is right now on underdog. I love,
0: I love sexless and angry Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. That's right. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. right <laughs> that <laughs> right could be now- its own podcast show, I think. Just uh, Aaron Rodgers on there. Yeah, instead I'm of going absolutely- on the Pat-
1: <laughs> I'm down for it so right now he is going as wide receiver 56 and he is good his ADP is 148.6 so you know he's, he's cheap so you know if if the draft pans out like it always does and they ignore the position first I don't know they can't ignore it this time but you never know uh, then yeah I think Alan Lazard is probably someone that will either shoot up draft boards when people realize there's nobody else there or he may quietly be a really good value
0: I know I'm targeting him in my early best balls just because I think even if they bring somebody in, I still think he's going to be locked into that wide receiver two role there in green Bay. So I think he's going to have value and he's just not being drafted that high. So uh, I I like that a lot. And uh, folks, if you want to get in on some of the early best ball action, by the way, underdog right now, we've got a promo. If you deposit $10 into a new underdog account, a new one, you get a deposit bonus match. Plus you get a new free four for four, pro subscription. So if you know you're going to subscribe, or if you were on the fence about subscribing, this is a good way to get that subscription in and, uh, and also have some fun with some best ball. Just put in four for four, four F O R four in the promo code box. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's all I've got this week. It was fun. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, listeners. You can follow us on Twitter at the Monday Mommy, at Chris Allen, FFWX, and at Two Guys Brandon. Thank you so much for checking us out. Have a good day.